house of the Lord this morning? Oh, come on. Is there joy in the house of the Lord this morning? All right. Thanks, Delacia, uh, for that time. Uh, so today we're going to be in 1 John. If you've been reading along uh, in our reading plan this year, uh, we're in like week, there's, there's less than 13 weeks left. If you've been doing that, you will have made it all the way through the New Testament when we get to December. And uh, this week's reading, uh, this past week's reading, uh, got us into 1 John. And uh, we'll be in uh, some of John's, more John's writing this next week. Uh, but today... Uh, we're going to be looking at John, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 10. Just a little bit of background uh, on where we're at with, with John and, and his writing on this. Uh, John, uh, more than likely, was the last eyewitness alive who actually walked with Christ, saw the crucifixion, saw the resurrection. He's the last witness, and we're going to see that come out in his writing. Um, so his whole testimony of seeing and hearing and touching becomes very important. John was writing this epistle so that believers could know. He wanted them to know with confidence uh, their salvation, and he wanted, to know that he wanted them to know with confidence what it was to walk in fellowship with God. He was also writing this to battle some false teaching going on, and Brad got into this in Sunday school, um, called, called Gnosticism, uh, which was a false teaching uh, and really had some messed up thinking with it. Um, we, we won't get into that. That's a whole other message of its own. But this is why John's eyewitness account becomes very important to battle this false teaching. And he's, he's talking to the believer. He's trying to, he wants to encourage them to, to remain in the faith and what this walk with uh, God looks like. Um, last week, John talked about a uh, Pastor John, not Apostle John. Uh, and I make these references a couple times, so I've got to make sure I clarify Pastor John uh, talked about being lost, and uh, he was not referring to lost as meaning those who have not found Christ or salvation. He was talking about losing our way. We've accepted Christ and losing our, our way or losing our walk with uh, Jesus and just not living a life of obedience. Today's focus is going to be on fellowship and being in fellowship with God. And again, this is for the believer and to encourage us as believers, what it looks like to have this walk or this relationship, this fellowship with God. John's not talking to those who don't know Christ as Savior and Redeemer. He's talking to the believer. Uh, he's also not talking to those who have left the church and is following this false teaching. He's really trying to encourage those who have remained in, in the faith that John uh, talked about in his, uh, in his earlier writing in the book of John. So as I went through this passage... Um, you know, I've known for several weeks that I was preaching today. I've known for several weeks what, what we we're going to be in in our reading plan. So it was about picking, okay, so what out of these five chapters this last week am I going to preach on? Originally, I was going to preach on Peter's restoration. I, there's something about that story I like. And for some reason, uh, God kept moving me back to this, this passage in First John. And it's a very challenging passage, um, personally. I felt like um, over the last few weeks, <clears throat> month, two months, that there's just been a spotlight on everything not right in my life, where I'm not walking in the light that he talks about. It's very convicting, and I think anybody uh, who has ever had to do a devotion or preach from the Word, whenever you do that, those passages become very convicting. Um, 
And I think this is something we probably all struggle with. I think we all struggle in relationships, both our horizontal relationships and our vertical relationships. And if we struggle with the horizontal, we probably should be looking at our vertical first. It's probably not the other person. It's probably where we're at between us and God that's causing some of these horizontal relationships. But typically, it's a lot easier to say it's the other person's fault. It's a lot easier to say, well, it's all them. It's, it's really nothing to do with me. Um, and that's where some of this in the last uh, couple of weeks where God has been laying on my heart about, hey, if you're not right with this person, uh, Brian, you and me need to talk about this, and then we'll work on that, with, and then you can work on it with the other person. And how we talk about uh, how we talk to God, and uh, we need to talk to God first and then see where things go from there. So on the topic of fellowship, being in fellowship with God, let's see what God's word says about it. So we're going to be in, uh, again, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Dear Lord, I just want to pray that uh, these words would just fall fresh on our ears and minds. Uh, Lord, that uh, we'll be able to work through this, that your spirit will be present, and you'll just bless uh, the teaching that comes from it. So as he sings your name, amen. All right, so first off, God is light, sin is darkness. This is pointed out right in the first verse we read. This is the message we have heard from him. Remember, John heard this message firsthand. It's not passed down from somebody else. John saw and heard this message straight from from Christ when he was on earth. And declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we go back a few hundred years, uh, Sir Isaac Newton actually put a definition on light. Pure light is a light that is compromised of one wavelength, can't be split into components or parts, it's, it's, uh, or in different colors. It's one wavelength of light. Um, light and darkness can't coexist. Darkness is the absence of light. You can't turn on darkness. You can turn off light and make darkness, but you can't. Uh, light and darkness cannot be together. There's a bit, uh, this is where our understanding of God needs to begin. Just as pure light can't be broken down into different colors, neither can God. God uh, has always been the same. That infinite, eternal, unchangeable spirit uh, being to whom all things begin, continue, and end. So if God is light and sin is darkness, God and sin can't coexist. Can't have, they can't be in the same room together. Can't make, well, I'm going to make a little spot over here for darkness and light over here in the same room. And that same room would be our life. We can't have them both in the same, at the same time. If there's a problem with our relationship with God, we need to understand it's our fault. God can't have sin. 
There's no part of God that's sin. So if we're having problems with God in that relationship, it starts with us. Can't be God's fault. We always need to look at ourselves first. If we're not feeling like things are right with God, we should be thinking more about God revealing to us where we are wrong and less about asking God where he is at or why he is not walking with us. It's very easy to say, well, I'm not feeling God's presence right now, so where is he at? Why is he abandoning me? Why is he not walking with me? Um, I seen a, uh, an alteration to the footprints poem. And, you know, we all know the poem where the guy's like, well, God, I can see where you're walking with me. There's two footprints in the sand, and here there's this one. And God says, well, that's where I'm carrying you. And then the guy says, well, what's, these, what's this set of footprints and the drag marks? And that's when God says, that's when I was dragging you when we don't want to go. So we always need to be walking uh, with God. It's usually easier uh, than being drug. Um, so uh, let's move on to verse 6. Uh, if we can claim to have Christ with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Fellowship and darkness can't coexist. So the, the word for fellowship here uh, is koinonia, um, and it's an association, a community, a communion, joint participation. The one I like the best is a relationship of common interest. If we're walking with God in a relationship of common interest, that would be his word, seeking his holiness, doing the work of Jesus, that's what we're talking about, having that walk or that kind of relationship with God. The walk, the word walk that they use uh, is peripateo, and that is to, to make one's way, progress, to make uh, due use of opportunities. In Hebrew, it would mean to live, to regulate one's life, con to conduct oneself. The walk is not an occasional lapse of judgment, but it's a pattern of living. So what we're talking about here is John isn't talking about those who have that, that moment of lapse in judgment or that one decision um, that maybe they did something they shouldn't have done. He's talking about people who, who are in continual uh, darkness. They're living a, a pattern of life um, that is a lifestyle of darkness. Now, needless to say, the one lapse in judgment could easily turn into the lifestyle of darkness. Um, I heard a guy say one time, everybody is one decision away from changing their life, good or bad. It actually came from the director of the homeless shelter in Fort Wayne, who used to be a resident of the homeless shelter. And he said, everybody's one decision away from being homeless. And you think about it, like, oh, that can't be. No, it is. You think about it, everybody's one decision away from changing their life. A group that I hang out with at children's camp, we always uh, run a, a, through a filter on decisions of, will this decision change my career path? The answer is yes, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, so let's talk about being recognized by the way you walk. This is called your gait. And you may not know this, but actually FBI operatives are trained to recognize targets based solely on the way they walk, analyzing their gait. It's become actually very popular. Um, I actually experienced this, not that they were trying to recognize me, but I was in Fort Wayne at a conference and literally a block and a half ahead of me, 
I could recognize somebody who's walking away from me. I could recognize them by the way they walked. They had a very distinct walk to them. Um, and I knew exactly who it was. But gait analysis can't be fooled. You can't fool it by limping. You can't fool it by your arms. It analyzes all parts of your body. And they need a video to be able to do this. But they can determine who someone is simply by the way they walked. So if we looked at that, if they can identify people by the way they, if we can identify people physically by the way they walked, what if we, what if we could be identified in our spiritual walk by the way we act and behave each day of the week? A few weeks ago, um, you may recall, John talked about a QR code. Some people will know what this is. Some of you probably don't know what this is. But this is what it looks like. This is a QR code. If you had a smartphone, you put your, put your, camera on that. It's going to come up with a link, and it's going to take you someplace. And ever since John said that, I'm like, man, what if we all had a QR code that anybody could see, and at any point in time, they could look at that and know exactly who we were? They would, they would see our browser history. They'd see all the TV shows we watched, what music we listened to, all of that in one QR code. And our would we be happy with that? And this is actually something that I've thought about when I'm in the quietness of my wood shop or in my office or whatever. It's like, okay, if this was showing up on my QR code, would I be happy with that? And it really uh, made me think about uh, some of those decisions. So in this one, if you took a picture of it, it's going to show who Brian Moore is. You're going to see a lot of it, but it's going to take you to my professional um, LinkedIn page, they call it, and it's going to talk all about my work history and my volunteers and, and different things that I do. And even in that, if someone looked at that, would they know that I'm walking with Jesus? Um, it's something we, we should think about. John here is not talking about salvation. So when he talks about your walk, he's not talking about salvation. John's focused on the fellowship of believers and your fellowship with Christ or with God. A Christian who temporarily walks in darkness is still saved, but is not in fellowship. Now, this kind of goes along with John's passage last week. Wasn't talking about salvation. Um, we can be saved and still be temporarily walking, walking in, in darkness. Many Christians, uh, even me at times, are not uh, aware of our true condition. We know that we're saved, and we've had a conversion, 1983, Bear Lake Church Camp. Even repented at some point, yet we do not live in true fellowship with God. When we are not in fellowship, we're missing out on the fullness of God's work in our life. And I found it interesting, um, if you would have, in, on further in First John, in the end of chapter 2, he talks about, hey, he's encouraging him to live this way, live in this fellowship, live in walking in this light. So when the Lord returns, you're not afraid or ashamed. And I'm like, hmm, made me dig into that a little bit more. Uh, and, I, and I've come across commentary that talked about what he's referring to here is he's putting people into two groups, those who are not quite saved and those who are barely saved. 
And the difference there is, is there are those who know of God, heard the stories of Jesus, may have read the Bible, may attend church, but they never accepted the salvation that comes through Christ's blood on the cross. And then those who are barely saved are those who have made that confession. They, they acknowledge Christ's work on the cross. They, uh, they believe Christ is their Savior, but yet they're not walking in fellowship with God. And those are the ones who will be ashamed. When Christ comes back, they'll be ashamed of what they missed out on and what they could have done. And I think that's what, uh, as we look through this with, uh, with John, that's what he wants us. Uh, he doesn't want us to be ashamed, and he doesn't want us to be fearful of Christ's return. John Beers has routinely uh, tells people, and actually I came across a quote from someplace else, so I don't know uh, who stole it from who, but uh, I'm pretty sure the quote I saw was from Spurgeon, so I think John picked it up there somewhere. But he says, if I know Christ, then I'm, right now I'm living in the worst of times. If I don't know Christ, right now I'm living in the best of times. And just let that settle and think about it. But uh, John's became very passionate about that saying. Let's move on to verse 7. Uh, fellowship does not mean perfection. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we declare ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. A healthy fellowship with God will yield healthy fellowship on earth. Walking in the light means being generally obedient, um, not harboring known sin, resisting or resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit on a particular point. John wants us to know that walking in a light is possible, but on this side of heaven, a sinless life is not possible. He's not asking for perfection. He, but he is exhorting us to be obedient. And sometimes that obedience is just listening to the will of God and the Holy Spirit and letting him convict us where we're wrong. And those aren't easy things to swallow sometimes. We don't like to be told that we're in the wrong. But sometimes you have to eat your words, swallow hard, and say, yeah, that one's on me. Um, had a situation this week where uh, I was doing a press release for work. I wanted, I wanted to reference in my quote in the press release something else that's technically in the public record, but not like really out there in a public record. You can find it if you look for it, but it's, it's somewhat hidden, but it is public. And I wanted to do it in a worst way, but it was relating to another customer and I didn't want to offend them. And I went back and forth. I talked to colleagues about, can I do it? And it was one of those things that I can do it. Then it became a question of, should I do it? And I ended up calling the, the, my my relationship at the company I wanted to quote, I called him and I said, hey, this is what I want to do, and I want your blessing. And he says, I'm not sure you need to have it. I said, I understand. I don't need to have it, but I'm trying to build a partnership and a relationship with you, and doing this, I'm not sure, is the right thing. And he says, let me, send me what you got and let me think about it. And he, talks, he 
texts me the next morning and says, based on our past conversations, I see nothing wrong, nothing inflammatory about you doing it. And as I was telling our, my team that, hey, this is what I'm doing, and this is why I, I now feel okay doing it, another person on the team who loves the Lord, follows him dearly, he says, man, Brian, I won't know if I would have done that. I don't think I could have done that. So those are examples of being sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit. If I did or didn't ask permission, was it sin? No. Whether I did it and asked permission, it wasn't sin. But it was being sensitive and being obedient to the Holy Spirit when they're convicting us. So this whole idea of walking in fellowship, um, but yet not living a sinless life, I think we see this in Paul's writing in Rome, in Romans, where he talks about all sinners have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fall short. It's not you sinned once and fall short. We all sin and fall short. It's not once in my life. It's, it's daily we fall short uh, of the glory of God. So I'm gonna, we're going to go through uh, several passages quickly uh, and what it looks like to walk in the light. So I think we can get a good idea of what this darkness looks like and maybe when we're not being obedient. But I always like to go back to, don't necessarily tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what's right, and I'll do more of that. And some of these passages are, I believe, are pretty high bars um, as a pattern of living. We'll start in uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interest but each of you to the interest of the others. Colossians 1, 10 and 11. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord? Let's look at Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. <coughs> I think... On, that, on, on the one in Matthew, there's a couple things there. We've talked about this before uh, at Living Hope. Um, therefore, go and make disciples. This isn't, he doesn't parse any people out. He's talking to all believers. Go and make disciples. You don't get a pass on that. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. And the other part of this is, is uh, sometimes I hear this quoted and they leave out a part of verse 20. They just say, Teach them my commandments. It's not what it says. Teach them to obey my commandments. How do you teach someone to obey? You act like it. You live it out. You give them an example um, to live by. Words doesn't teach them necessarily to obey. Words can teach them the commandment, but words won't teach them to obey. You have to live it out. So let's go back to our list. Romans 13, uh, 13 and 14. 
Let us uh, behave decently as in, the, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the word of Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. John 15.5 I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I look at all those verses, and I see all the things in there that pleases the Lord. And when we please the Lord, that's where we end up in this partnership, walking together in common interest. I had a friend this week tell me, um, 10 seconds, if the Holy Spirit or something comes to your mind that you should do, and we were talking about saying something to somebody, should I say something to somebody about the gospel or about my relationship with Christ? I have 10 seconds to do it. Because after 10 seconds, I'll talk myself out of it. And the whole point is, is just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. Don't worry about what words am I going to say. I don't know how many conversations I've had where I come on and I was like, I'm not sure what I just said, but it was what the other person needed to hear. I didn't plan it. I didn't practice it. It just came out. And sometimes those things come back months later, year later, where that same person says, man, what you told me last summer made a huge impact. And I'm like, uh, what was that again? Because to me, I was just being obedient to what I felt the Spirit was telling me to tell that person at that point in time. Walking in light, being in fellowship, allows us to be continually cleansed by the blood of Christ. That is the acknowledgement and embracing of his death in our place and the wrath of the Father he endured on my behalf. If you go back to that verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And I found this from Spurgeon. I have a friend who's always sending me Spurgeon stuff. Early on, I couldn't understand it. Um, and I was like, okay. But the more I've gotten into this reading plan this year and being accountable weekly to share what has been in the reading and somebody come alongside and encourage me to look in uh, commentaries and different things, I've become much more appreciative of Spurgeon's writings. Uh, it's been an interesting uh, turn of events, we'll say, in the last 12 months. But Spurgeon says on this, on this verse, observe here that nothing is said about rites or ceremonies. It does not begin by saying, and the waters of baptism, together with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us. Not a word. Whether it shall be sprinkling of an infancy or immersion of believers, nothing is said about it. It is the blood, the blood only, without a drop of baptismal water. Nothing in this passage here said anything about sacraments. What some call the blessed Eucharist is not dragged in here. Nothing is nothing about eating bread, drinking wine. It is the blood, nothing but the blood, that cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light or being in fellowship does not take my sin away. Whether I'm in fellowship with God or I'm not in fellowship with God, I'm still a sinner. 
doesn't matter. We need to call it what it is. Sin is the hindrance to our fellowship. The blood of Jesus solves the problem of sin and opens the way for fellowship with God. It's on me. If I'm not in fellowship, it's on me. Verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. Fellowship requires confession. John is not encouraging us to not, I'm sorry, John is encouraging us to not sin, but is also uh, is not saying that a Christian is or will ever be uh, sinlessly perfect. We also need to acknowledge that we do not have to sin. God's desire is for us not to sin. Um, But also, God does not make the believer sin. It's our choice. Um, I heard a message by Irwin McManus a while back, and he talked about moments. And days are broken down into hours, broken down into minutes, broken down into moments. And what do you do in the moment? What leads to sin is our flesh. And I love this definition of why we sin. It's our flesh basically not consistently willing to rely on God. It's instant gratification. It's self-gratification. It's selfishness. It's, not, it's us not being willing to just trust and fully rely on God, that he'll take care of it. Um, to confess in this passage means to say the same as, and we must be willing to say the same and believe the same about our sin as what God says about our sin. It's not a once and for all mentality. This isn't something where I can confess once and then not have to worry about it ever again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we lie lie to ourselves. This leads to self-betrayal, ultimately leads to self-deception, and that's very dangerous. I just finished a book about self-deception. It's a business book. Um, I think it should be a marriage counseling book. It is a great read. I would encourage, it's not a Christian-based book, but if you know Christ and know the word, there is a lot of good principles in there. But it talks about self-deception and how once you deceive yourself, you then start justifying why you're right and the other person's wrong. And once you're in that, it changes your attitude Uh, towards that person, changes your attitude towards life, changes your attitude towards yourself. Um, It's a very dangerous position to be in. And honestly, in my work life, been there. Been there for about 10 years probably uh, with a few people. And this is where being obedient to the Holy Spirit, he's convicted me of, Brian, you've not been in the right mentality with these coworkers for a long time. And you need to fix it. And with God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get it fixed. There are a few people today who think themselves think that they are sinlessly perfect, yet not many of them, us, would consider ourselves sinners. So I think everybody here, including myself, would say, well, I'm not perfect. But if I would turn that around and say, oh, are you a sinner? A lot of us would, mm, I don't know if I'd go that far. 
Um, but it's the truth. We are sinners. Many will say, I make mistakes, or I'm not perfect. I'm only human. But usually say such things as an excuse or to defend their actions. Um, we don't have to get into where he's at theologically or anything else, but many years ago uh, I watched a fairly long series uh, Andy Stanley put together on um, Starting Point. And I loved his discussion on sin versus mistakes. We don't like to call it sin because we can't fix sin. We just talked about there's only one way to fix sin. Christ's blood. That's it. Nothing we can do. It's the only way. But if I call it a mistake, I can fix my mistakes. And Andy goes on to say, mistake something you do on the math test, your tax return. The inappropriate relationship you have with your secretary, it's not a mistake. The inappropriate movies you have in your drawer in your VCR cabinet, it's not a mistake. It's sin. Call it what it is, accept the only way to fix it, and be in fellowship with God. Confession must be personal. To say, God, if I've made a mistake, forgive me, isn't confession. Because it isn't convincing. If we made, it isn't personal, and it isn't specific. If we made any, and it isn't honest, mistakes. Confession requires uh, us realizing what reality is. God, I watched that movie last night. I know I shouldn't have. I know it's not God-honoring. I know it impacted my thinking. Please forgive me and help me make better choices the next time. Those things happen every day in my life where there's something that looking back was not uh, what God would want, not the choice God would want me to have made. Confession is vital to maintain our relationship with God. God convicts us of sin that hinders our relationship with him. Confession and receiving forgiveness is the only way to cleanse the relationship. Confession is the only way that I can keep that relationship where God wants it to be at. We don't like to admit, humans don't like to admit we're wrong, that we've sinned. But I came across this from an old Puritan a few hundred years ago. No man was ever kept out of heaven for his confessed badness. But many are kept out for their supposed goodness. We shouldn't be afraid to confess our sins to God. He knows anyway. Not telling anything he doesn't know. But it's important for us to acknowledge uh, where we're at in that relationship and that our reliance on Christ um, is the only way to remain in fellowship with God. I think we all can see times in our life where we are walking with God. It just feels different. Yesterday was a pretty gloomy day. Rainy, cloudy, cold. I don't know why. It was a happy day. I was just happy. I don't know why I was happy. I was just happy. And Robin even asked me, she goes, why are you happy today? I'm like, I don't know. I was happy today. We had a good men's breakfast. I was able to get up and drive someplace. I felt good. 
It's that feeling you have when you're walking with God. You can't, it's hard to describe, especially you can't describe to someone who doesn't know God. You just can't describe it. It's a joy that comes from the Lord. Indescribable joy. So I want to end with um, two things. The one you're probably going to say, I'm not sure how that applies. But I want you to use it as something very simple to think about as you're going through your daily life. So about 30 years, if you go back about 50 years, 60 years, delivery routes were planned based on the shortest distance between points. So they would analyze what's the shortest distance between all the points I got to make today, and that's how it calculate the route. Well, in the late 70s, UPS said, we're not sure that's the right way. And they implemented a strategy. They planned all their routes by only making or maximizing right-hand turns. 90% of their turns are right-handed turns, even if it means they're going further from their next delivery point. The reality is 22% of crashes involve left-hand turns versus only 1% of crashes involve right-hand turns. Any accident, if you look at accidents that happen at intersections, 61% occur while turning left or turning into crossing crossing traffic. 3% involve right. In 2017, UPS did analysis on all this. They saved three to four hundred million dollars annually in fuel. Was able not they didn't have to put they would have had to put eleven hundred more trucks on the road to to make the uh, all the deliveries they make in any given day. And basically they've realized they drive eighty five eighty five million miles uh, less a year. And on top of other stuff they put in place to plan routes, they save like $185 million a year. And when I started studying this, all I can think about is, is just turn right. When I'm faced with a decision, just turn right. It's going to take less time. It's going to take less energy. And it's a really easy reminder. Just turn right. So if I'm killing time and I'm trying to decide am I just going to scroll social media or read a book just turn right am I going to choose to watch this movie over that movie just turn right am I going to choose to ignore my neighbor or talk to my neighbor just turn right in the end it'll probably cost me less energy take me less time and I'll have a significant less chance of having an accident and in those situations those are accidents you don't want to have because the consequences sting sometimes they sting bad so what's this mean for us our individual walks are up to each individual 
What works for me doesn't work for somebody else, and what works for you may not work for me. It's an individual choice. I'm pretty sure I've said this before in here, but I used to always tell my kids when they were little, and they would tell me stories from school, I'd say, you only have to answer for your choice. You don't have to answer for someone else's. We do have to answer for our choice. But for us, as a body of believers here, who John was writing to, we can encourage one another. We can build each other up. We can build a relationship with each other. We can hold each other accountable. And one of the ways we're doing that right now at Living Hope is through discipleship groups. I know we talked about it. Some people are probably getting sick of hearing about it. But I can assure you, for the guys in my group, it's been life-changing. We don't look at things the same anymore. Yeah, are there days I read just to check the box? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, God still uses that. He still uses that as uh, work in my life, but it's the accountability. I do it because I know when I come to the next week, I got to share what God, what God spoke to me out of the word. That's the accountability. And if we want to be in fellowship with God, we have to be in the word. There is no other way. Um, so I would encourage you as you leave here today, Delisha is going to lead us in this last song. Um, lyrics of this last song are pretty simple nothing else I want nothing else I just want you Jesus I just want you I there's been so many things in the last week that's pointed to this message that that's just the work of the Holy Spirit I told John last week he asked me a question after the message I'm like man you queued up this week perfectly and him and I him nor I talked about what I didn't know what he was preaching last week. He really didn't know what I was preaching this week. That's the Holy Spirit and just being obedient to what he's telling us. Dear Lord, we do just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, as convicting as it can be, uh, Lord, the desire, your desire and your word is for us to be in fellowship with you. God, through the work of your son, Jesus, and the blood of that cleanses me and all of us from our sin. It's the only way I can be in fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that uh, your word does convict us. Lord, discipline isn't always easy, but in the end, Lord, I know your word is, is telling us those things because you want what's best for us. You have good thoughts about us. And you want us to be in fellowship. Lord, when we lose our way, when we're going through those periods where uh, we're not living in light, or we're in the darkness, Lord, I just pray that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, showing us where we can do better, and showing us, revealing to us, the sin in our life that needs to be dealt with. And Lord, even for us today, if any of that's going on, we just need to deal with it today. Delacia sings this song, Lord leads us in the song or maybe we just think about that think about the things that are hindering our fellowship with you and at the end of the day Lord I know for me I want nothing else I just I just want to be with you 
would go with us uh, when we leave here today, that we'll just live that out daily. That people will just see in our life, they'll see in our walk, they scanned our QR code, they would know that we're just in fellowship with you. Trust your work on us as we go forward. We just ask these things in your name. Amen.